Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you so much for listening. Um, greetings from a hotel room in Bakersfield, California. Um, this is something that I do every few months. Um, uh, Jen and I work out a, uh, a way for me to take a, a cheap trip away for a few days um, just to kind of, I don't know, be alone and get some rest and also maybe catch up on uh, some work. And so uh, usually I go to my hometown of Taft, which is about 40 minutes away from Bakersfield. But uh, but oddly enough, the, the various uh, motels there were all uh, booked up, which is a little strange. If you know anything about Taft, it's fascinating to know that anybody would visit there. But then I guess I visit there myself, so who knows? But um, but yeah, right now I'm uh, just relaxing at a at a hotel room in Bakersfield, and I thought this might be a good opportunity to catch up on, among other things, uh, more than one lesson episode. So I thought I would uh, record today about Bong Joon Ho's Parasite. But before I do that, I wanted to let everybody know that my new documentary valley of the shadow the the spiritual value pardon me of horror is going to be available in probably about three weeks um it'll be available at the uh, rediscover television streaming platform so you can check that out and i will certainly post in the facebook group and on twitter uh, about that as it comes up but uh, it's a it's a documentary about, obviously, about horror movies. I co-wrote it with Reed Lackey, and uh, my friend Amsey did the music, and it was uh, it's hosted and narrated by Bill Oberst Jr. So it really is a, a more-than-one-lesson production. Um, a lot of people that have been previously asso- associated with this show are part of the documentary, and I'm fairly proud of it. Uh, I've gotten a few people have looked at it and and said that it's uh, it's it's pretty solid and so it's also kind of long. So just be ready for that. It's about 2 hours and 20 minutes because as you guys know very well, uh I'm a bit of a blowhard and uh and that's even cut down a little bit. So when the time comes and you're and you uh rent the movie and and watch the movie, just be ready for that. It is uh it's 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 a longer set. But uh anyway, so uh, I think that's about it as far as announcements. Um, so let's go ahead and just get into it. Um, so Parasite, directed by Bong Joon-ho, came out in 2019. I'm sure many of you saw it. It was a film that did very well at film festivals. Uh, I think it did very well at Cannes. And uh, there was just a lot of hype uh, building up to it. Uh, and so I watched it myself. And my I don't have much of an association with, with Bong Joon-ho as a filmmaker. 
and so I just wasn't uh, sure what to expect. I had seen Snowpiercer, which was an American film he had made, and thought it w- the art direction was wonderful and some of the performances were great, um, but I thought the film was sort of preachy in a way that I thought was kind of obvious and simplistic. And so when I heard about Parasite, which uh, had to do with sort of class differences and income inequality and stuff like that, I was just like, oh boy, here we go. Um, And that's a big part of what we're going to be talking about today. But uh, I was not merely pleasantly surprised, but I genuinely uh, uh, loved this film, like from beginning to end. It just, it is so beautifully crafted. Um, on a structure level, on a dialogue level, on a visual level, it is just a, I would venture to say a perfect film. I cannot think of anything about it that I think is, is off. Uh, even in its, in its messaging, I think it actually is, is infinitely more subtle than, and nuanced, uh, and humanistic than, uh, Snowpiercer. And so, uh, if you haven't seen Parasite, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, it was, uh, over Battleship Pretension, we did a, uh, we, published a book um, of the 101 best movies of the 2010s and Parasite was in the top 10 and I'm the one that did the uh, the write-up for it uh, because it is just a, a marvelous movie and it, when it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars that was very exciting it was up for uh, pictures up for director and uh, international film and a number of other things and everybody assumed, like, okay, well, it's going to win Best International Film. That goes without saying. And then everybody just sort of assumed that Best Picture and Director were going to go to uh, 1917, which is a perfectly fine, very effective film, uh, but also one that is thematically and artistically very safe. Uh, and, you know, it's a big spectacle kind of film, and it's a war movie. It's a much more conventional Best Picture winner. And so a lot of people thought that it was going to go to that. It had won a number of awards previously. And then... Much to everybody's surprise, uh, the night of the Oscars, certainly Parasite won Best International Film. That wasn't a surprise, but then it won Best Screenplay, and that was very exciting. Then it won Best Director, and so Bong Joon-ho just kept having to go up to the up to get awards, and I have to assume after a certain point his arms were just full. And then when we finally got to Best Picture, I remember turning to my friend uh, as we were watching the Oscars, and I said, I genuinely don't know what's going to happen. Um... And then when it won Best Picture, making it the only uh, international film to win Best Picture, I mean, that's that's historically very significant. Uh, and, you know, my, my friends and I were both, were all just very excited um, because it just so flew in the face of what the Oscars normally do. And not to get too political, but of course, uh, you know, I'm I'm fairly right-leaning. In fact, I would go so far as to say that I'm conservative-leaning libertarian, and, and a lot of you know that. Um, but you also know that I tend not to uh, agree with a lot of my fellow conservatives, especially conservative commentators, when it comes to film and when it comes to art. And so when Parasite won Best Picture, uh, you know, a lot of conservatives already had issues with, with the Oscars. They say, oh, they nominate movies that nobody saw. They had they nominate and reward movies that are super woke and and none of the none of the stuff that that we actually like or conser- or uh, espouses conservative values and that sort of thing. And while I think that might be right, uh, many of the films that are honored at the Oscars are still really really great. Uh, and so, 
Uh, I think it's I think it's wrong to look solely at what a film might be trying to say and uh, look instead at how it says it, which obviously is a, a big aspect of film criticism and film discussion. And if you're a political commentator, you're not interested in the artistic side. You're interested only in the messaging. And so uh, and then I remember that uh, that Donald Trump, who uh, was president at the time, um, commented on the idea of Parasite winning Best Picture. And it's weird. I, I, I'm not in the habit of defending uh, Donald Trump's uh, comments about culture, but um, a lot of people said that he was he was being very xenophobic and saying like, Oh, I can't believe it went to this Korean film. And all, you know, this is, this is uh, supposed to be like a, an American award and all that. He didn't exactly say that. And what he was, what he was actually saying was that Hollywood movies are so bad. They can't even win best picture anymore. Uh, it winds up going to films from another country. And even though I think that itself is a wrong take, um, I see what he was trying to say. But that didn't stop plenty of conservative pundits from uh, uh, doesn't didn't stop him from jumping on that and say saying, yes, this is the Oscars are an American award. We have a category for uh, foreign films. It's it's best international film. And so uh, and meanwhile, the Oscars, while often rewarding uh american films or at least english-speaking films because there are a number of british movies uh, that have won over the years um officially it's not uh, it's it's not a, an american award it's a hollywood award but uh it can go to any kind of movie that is deemed worthy and so uh yeah it's uh there's just so much i mean everything's political these days everything uh, is reacted to as like, oh, well, there's something maybe nefarious going on if it doesn't line up with one side or the other's uh, specific views. Uh, and obviously art is political, and this is a film that does have uh, a political uh, bent to it, but I think it is first approached, this story is first approached by Bong Joon-ho with a great deal of curiosity and humanity towards its characters as opposed to just seeing them solely as what they represent and i think that is very much to the film's credit and you know there were plenty of uh conservatives who saw this as like an anti-rich movie and i definitely do not think it is that um i think it's certainly as most movies do i think it probably to the degree that there are sides i think it sides more with the like poorer characters but i don't think it does that at the expense of uh, the rich characters and developing those those rich characters. Um, but again, uh, I, I'm sorry to make things uh, political myself, but uh, it's something that tends to frustrate me uh, when um, when people that have a similar political and and economic view that I do when they maybe willfully uh, misinterpret things and they just have a chip on their shoulder about film and about art and uh, they're just looking for something to be frustrated with and in the meantime they are missing out on just how fascinating parasite is because it really is it is a it is a genre bending film you go in and it it feels like it's just going to be a fairly straightforward drama about this this family that is uh, not very well off they they make their money as a family by folding uh, pizza boxes for a, for a local restaurant, and that's it. That's all they do. But they do have, each member of the family have their, their individual talents, and then they, they one of the members of the family uh, gets pulled into 
the world of a much more well-off family. And uh, first as a tutor, and then they slowly but surely work their way into uh, into the the wealthier families life uh it's never they they never establish like oh hey this is my father and this is my mother they they make it seem like they're all from different walks of life they're all from different families but in fact it's it really this is where the title comes from it's the poor family having you know latched on to this wealthier family uh as you know the housekeeper the the chauffeur that sort of thing and just you know getting as much as they can out of them while deceiving them the whole time. So that's the basic premise. And I'm sure I haven't, it's, it's so much more complex than that. And as the poorer family is slowly, but surely getting, you know, into these uh, positions uh, within the, the wealthier family, it feels almost like a heist movie. So we've, we've, we've pivoted from uh, a straightforward, like class drama to this sort of you know con artist movie this heist movie and it and it has this feeling it's not exactly oceans 11 but it does feel like that it feels very light um it feels very fun and often funny um and it's it's tremendously enjoyable to watch uh as this poor family lies and takes advantage of of the richer family and i think one of the reasons that i like that that it works is because we do see the richer family specifically the 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 wife and mother as she's a little bit naive and she's she's very trusting and she has no reason to think that this family would lie to her about who they are and how they're related to each other and so she just accepts it and just thinks this is the best you know the, these tutors are the best ones for my kids and and this uh this older man is is the best person to drive my husband around and stuff like that and so uh while the 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 poor family are definitely there our main characters i think the richer family again uh we have no reason to really dislike them or i and i don't think the film is is openly making fun of them or or mocking them uh there's there's not the contempt that one might expect uh if you've seen films like like snowpiercer but so then we've got this fun little uh this fun little uh heist movie and then, I mean, of course, I, I assume that you've probably seen the movie if uh, if you're listening to this. But I also, in case you haven't, because there are people that listen to this without having seen the film, which is fascinating to me. But uh, I won't judge in case you're one of the people listening right now. Um, but it, it pivots again. Uh, and we discover that there's this whole other world within the very nice house uh, that the wealthy people are living in uh, and we discover uh, uh, in many ways another class being revealed we have the upper class the lower class and then there's this whole hidden class um, of people and we see essentially you know the poor family uh, fighting in some cases literally with uh, this other family for position you know for for position within uh the wealthy family's home and i do think that that is is bong joon ho making a very specific uh argument about just the nature of of income inequality and class that uh there is a struggle that can often turn violent that people in a privileged position aren't 
even really aware of. Um, they just think like, oh, I'm hiring this person or I'm hiring this person without recognizing how much animosity can be created within the people that are potentially being hired. And so um, I do think that uh, that's one of the points that the film is is making, and I think it makes it v extremely well. And I think it's also probably true. Once again, politically, I'm fairly conservative, but even I recognize that, yeah, there's when in the world of competition, while I do think that brings out the best as far as the market and as far as uh, people doing a good job and, and products being made and companies doing well, I also recognize that it can it can cause people to view each other uh, as the enemy. And I think that that is is something that fellow conservatives need to acknowledge. Um, but uh, anyway, moving on. So as this happens, the film pivots almost into not full on horror territory, but definitely more of a mystery suspense thriller. And so if you're following along, we've now hit three different genres, not that uh, drama is a genre, but the film pivots in some cases abruptly, and yet somehow Bong Joon-ho is able to balance the tone. And I think a lot of it has to do with his, his actors knowing how to, uh, how to transition from one to the next in their performances. But Bong Joon-ho manages to balance the tone so that when we shift, it doesn't feel like, well, that's I, I can't actually believe this anymore. Um, you know, it's not exactly a situation like, um, you know, from dusk till dawn where we go from this crime movie into a vampire movie. Uh, and it just it genuinely feels like we've watched two completely different films slam into each other here. It really does feel like it transitions well from one to the next and then. By the time we're into this new genre, uh, you know, by the time we realize we're into the, this new genre, we've been there for probably 10 to 15 minutes. And so uh, so and that and it's it really is a balancing act and it's a function of a really solid screenplay and really solid, solid editing. Um, you know, there is such a thing as like dramatic editing and suspenseful editing and fun editing Um you know, sometimes it'll go a little faster, sometimes it'll go a little slower, uh, so that it can manipulate our emotions the way the director needs. You know, if if the heist uh, or con artist part of the film were to be too slow um, with shots, you know, just sort of lingering too long, it then it's then it sort of betrays where we're headed, which is the the uh, mystery suspense uh, borderline horror kind of thing. And so it doesn't want to do uh, Bong Joon-ho does not want to do that. And so uh, in order to maintain the sense of fun in that moment, uh, the, the editing is a little bit faster. It uses montage a little bit more. And uh, yeah, it's, it really, you know, every once in a while, even though you can talk about the different individual elements of a film like this, everything works and flows into everything else that it just feels like a film that has arrived fully formed. Uh, you can't really talk about any one element without immediately talking about another element because here, you know, I can talk about the editing, but in order to do that, I also have to talk about the type of shots that, that the, uh, that the film is composed of. And so there we we're talking about the cinematography. And in order to talk about that, we have to talk about the art direction and the production design, because the most of the film takes place within the house of this wealthy family. Uh, and the house was completely designed for the film. 
And you have to have, I, I don't necessarily like the idea when people say, oh, this location is like another character. It's not another character, it's a setting. But it's a setting that has to have, that we have to get a really strong sense of where everything is. Um, and it needs to have a lot of nook and crannies because characters are constantly uh, slipping into one to avoid being seen or whatever it is. Uh, and those nooks and crannies have to be believable within this very modern house uh you know this is this does not look like an old victorian uh norman bates type house uh instead it it looks like the house uh built by an architect which i believe is is uh the story of of this film and then i think one of the one of the things from a story standpoint that i really love and i do think that this is a a character choice is that there comes a moment when it would appear the jig is up and the poor family is going to be found out and they just m narrowly avoid that happening and you see them all make their way to their uh their small apartment in the rain and it's really awful it's a really wonderful sequence as well uh visually but you do kind of get this feeling it's like okay this was too close surely they're going to opt out of this. They're all going to quit and find some other scam or do something else to make their money, whatever it is. Uh, but they don't. They, they're they like, yeah, they, we weren't actually found out, so you know what? Let's, let's keep this going. Why would we give it up when it is paying so well, all four of us? And I think that's, it, it's such an interesting, uh, it's such an interesting beat because I think, uh, for myself as a person and as someone who, you know, when I watch films that are suspenseful, there is this feeling that I get of like, hey, if you've made it out, if you're safe, just run, just get out of there. Um, why put yourself in that position again? Um, but again, these are these are characters who are desperate. They are in a in a rough economic situation and have been for a while. And they've they're not going to they're not going to give this up unless they absolutely positively have to. Um and then uh, in our in the third act, uh, you do see a, a, a birthday party where they all need to attend and everything that has been hidden comes out in one way or another. Uh, there's there's unexpected violence. And what's more is I feel like there's there's a specific act of violence that it's it's tough. Uh, I don't think the film necessarily condones it, but I think it understands it. And some might say that's the same thing. I don't think it is. Um, but a character is killed who has not really done anything wrong at all. Um, he has simply adopted a certain attitude that one of our main characters does not like and finds odious, and he takes his revenge on on this character and so um and i like that the film is a little bit ambiguous about how we're supposed to take that i think it's it would be too obvious to say like ah well this is this is where the film's director this is where the director's uh, feelings really lie and like striking out against those about against the elitists against the the privileged um but also just the fact of who does it uh speaks volumes because you know the again the 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 poorer family they are not seen as the these these noble you know strugglers who are just pushing and pushing and and 
and there's just a purity to them quite quite the opposite i think that would be almost patronizing and i think bong joon ho is a better director than that and instead we we see that the poor family are not always sympathetic uh, they adopt attitudes that that we think are like well maybe this is you know not not the idea that uh that like oh well anybody that's poor is just they're choosing to be in their own way it's not that but you know when you when you encounter like the father and he ex- explains some of his uh some of his philosophies, you kind of get the impression that, yes, he's probably been poor for a while, and that has that has informed his philosophies of the world. But after a certain point, maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And uh, there's a, a line, a rather uh, in-depth uh, monologue here that I have uh, typed out, and I think it speaks, it's one of the more memorable moments of the film, and I think it speaks greatly to who the father is, where he says, you know what kind of plan never fails? No plan. No plan at all. You know why? Because life cannot be planned. Look around you. Do you think the people made a plan to sleep in the sports hall with you? But here we are now, sleeping together on the floor. So there's no need for a plan. You can't go wrong with no plan. You don't need to make a plan for anything. It doesn't matter what will happen next. Even if the country gets destroyed or sold out, nobody cares. Got it? And that's, I mean, that's a that's a pretty cynical way of looking at the world and you can tell it comes from a place of of pain and a place of hurt uh that he's probably tried to do some things in the past and and they have not worked out for him and so he decides you know uh to quote homer simpson trying is the first step towards failure and uh you know that's kind of amusing there but here there's a real tragedy to it and you do wonder um you know the the father of this family of four is the most reckless of the bunch. And he is the one that often needs to be managed, uh, more than the others. He doesn't have a great deal of discipline. And again, this is a situation where I don't think the, I don't think Bong Joon-ho is pointing his finger at that father and saying, well, maybe if he were different, maybe the family would be in a better position. But I also don't think he lets him fully off the hook. I think he sees that, um, that, uh, some of the the father's attitudes and actions are destructive and self-destructive and and that it probably informs a little bit uh how the family looks at the world and and the mother as well there's a moment when she's looking at at the uh, the rich family and she says uh they're nice because they're rich somebody comments that the that the rich family is nice and she says well they're nice because they're rich and then the father says rich people are naive no resentments no creases on them and so both of these characters have this view of the rich that I think a lot of people do. And it might be even, it might even be correct for the most part, which is when you don't really have to worry about money, uh, your energy that, that might go towards like scraping by can go towards other things. And, and that is a huge burden lifted off your shoulders. And because of that, uh, you can afford to be nice. Uh, you can afford to be naive. You don't have to resent anything. Now, we know that that's not true, that having money doesn't necessarily mean you have no troubles. Uh, there are things that you simply can't buy your way out of. But I think the by giving the, the parents uh, this view of, of the, the wealthier family and of uh, wealthy people in general, I think it goes a long way in kind of showing these different attitudes um, and allowing allowing every every view to be heard because 
if we feel like the director is is um, favoring one side or, or the other, um, then it's going to it's in my view, uh, it feels like he doesn't have a firm grasp on the complexity of income inequality and class warfare, whatever you want to call it. Um, but by allowing these characters to say, you know, make these these broad generalizations about the wealthy, but then the the same those same characters also show a general resignation uh, about their lot in life and the idea of of maybe getting out of that. Um, I feel like Bong Joon Ho does a really good job of showing that that there's there's a lot that can that can contribute to somebody being in a rough position just as there's a lot that can contribute to somebody being in a good position. You know, not all wealth is inherited. Um, you know, some, some of it actually somewhere, uh, somebody worked really hard uh, to, to get there and maybe they worked their way up from the bottom. Who knows? But um, I, I do genuinely feel like the film refuses to make uh, easy, broad sweeping statements about the nature of this. And so uh, along those lines, the the companion film is a film that I also uh, adore from 2001. Uh, it is Gosford Park, directed by Robert Altman and written by Julian Fellows, who would go on to create uh, Downton Abbey. And so uh, he is somebody who's very interested in the elites from you know almost a uh, hundred years ago, and just how often they are removed from the the day to day struggles of people and seem a little bit out of touch, but still recognizes that within their world they there are still expectations of them emotionally and relationally that might make them unhappy. Um, in the case of Gosford Park, you do get uh, it takes place in in the 1930s, so it's it, we're we haven't gotten to World War II yet, uh, and you kind of get the impression that World War II is going to just decimate the the world of these characters because it is uh, a very class-based uh sort of an upstairs downstairs sort of comedy drama that also has a, a bit of of mystery and uh and suspense in it although not really that and it it's it takes place in this giant mansion uh a a bunch of wealthy people are coming to this mansion for a uh, a shooting party shooting uh ducks and other animals and they, of course, bring with them their servants, their footmen and their butlers and their maids and all that sort of thing. And so we see the we see how much work goes into keeping this house up. And so we do see the 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 servers, uh, the, the servants, pardon me, uh, and we see the way they interact with each other and how much work they have to do. But then we also see the 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 aristocrats and just the way they interact with each other. And it is to the film's credit that there are sort of positive and negative characters in both worlds. Um, certainly our sympathy is just immediately going to be more with the, the servants because we can just relate more to them. Like we've all had to work uh, for bosses who maybe don't fully realize just how much work we're doing. Um, and the idea of just like sitting around casually uh, in a, in a luxurious house while people wait on us hand, hand and foot, that's something not many of us can really understand. And so I think the film definitely sees this from the perspective more of the servants, but it also doesn't, just like Parasite, it doesn't, um, I think, turn the, the servants into 
characters that are more pure. I think it's, I think it again has a, a more uh, humanistic approach and recognizes that somebody, somebody having money doesn't mean that they're, uh, that they're not tuned into their emotions or that they're callous to the suffering of other people. Just as when you are in, you know, if you, if you lack money, there's no inherent nobility in that. And it doesn't make you, uh, it doesn't excuse you from, from, uh, behaving like a, like a, like a moral person. You're still expected to, to love your fellow man and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, Gosford Park is a really marvelous film and like Parasite. Uh, and this is something that Robert, Robert Allman was always doing is, uh, it takes place within a very specific genre, um, which is the the who done it? You know, the idea of all these people going to this uh, sort of remote, luxurious location for the weekend, and then somebody is murdered, and oh my gosh, everybody's a suspect. Except here, <laughs> the person that is murdered. I mean, we're curious who did it. The murder doesn't happen for a while, um, and then when it does, he's not a likable guy. We're curious who did it, but we're actually more interested in just the way, uh, these class distinctions are playing out. And so, uh, I believe the way Altman referred to it is it's not so much a whodunit as a who cares whodunit. Um, and then even, uh, there's an inspector who, who comes to the, who comes to the, the estate and he's played by Stephen Fry. Who's a guy who just exudes intelligence and, he he's just completely uh, oblivious to the way things work and so much so that he even dismisses the idea that it could have been one of the servants that uh, that killed um one of the that killed this person who's you know one of the one of the wealthier characters and he just says he says no i i think we we should only look for people that have a connection to the dead man as though the servants couldn't possibly have uh, a connection with uh, with one of of the wealthier characters, and so that's that's where a lot of the humor comes from is just characters not really caring that much about uh, the guy who is dead, and so uh, and it's also just a beautiful looking film, just the way Altman shoots it with a constantly roaming camera, which is not an unheard of concept for him, but I think it I think doing that actually helps us to see things again, even more from the servant's perspective because they have to constantly be moving. And so with the camera, you know, it'll move a little bit fast and then it'll slow down to get just a snippet of conversation. Then it'll keep going. And in that way, we sort of feel like the servants. And so, uh, if you haven't seen Gosford park, uh, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's really great, but you do need to be ready. It does have that Robert Altman, uh, quality of overlapping dialogue there's a lot of characters to keep track of and you're not going to remember all their names and that's kind of by design because i think he also said or maybe this was julian fellows who said that he liked the idea that you come away from the film as though you were coming away from a party where you may not remember everybody's names but you remember a little bit about each one like oh hey who was like you're you're talking with your spouse as you're driving away being like now who was the guy who uh, was out of money uh, and really needed it, uh, and was going to ask for it, but eventually to realize that he was much happier with just with his wife or, or whatever it is. Like, that's the way we talk about people that we met at a party, but don't, didn't really get to know that much. We remember a few key things about them and that's basically it. And that is definitely how you feel, uh, coming out of Gosford park. And, uh, it's, it's almost, it's almost admirable how many characters they choose to put in this thing because it is a lot. And uh, they they had to have known that you are not going to be able to keep track of everybody. 
Um, and so if you are interested in Gosford Park, interested in Gosford Park, I definitely recommend it. Uh, but also just it, think of Nashville, think of the player and just remember that like, yeah, Altman is not, he's not trying to make a, a, a one person show, which he actually has done before now that I think about it with secret honor. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, both Parasite and Gosford Park are gorgeous looking films. Um, featuring wealthy characters and poorer characters uh, that sort of question the the nature of their genres and uh, seamlessly move from one genre into the next. And so I feel like the two, I feel like it does make a pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, double feature if you've got the time. Uh, and I did want to talk about briefly this idea of class and this idea of, of money and wealth. Um, and I'm going to try really hard not to fall into, you know, my, my economic attitudes, because being a conservative, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with somebody having a great deal of money. Um, I think it's, I think it's wrong to paint anybody who is rich with a broad brush and just say, well, they probably got it because of this and this, and just sort of diminish, uh, any any uh, accomplishment they, they have simply because they have more money than we do. Uh, the flip side is, I'm often bothered by uh, the way my fellow conservatives talk about uh, the working class. Um, they w they may speak about it with a certain degree of nobility, but when it comes time to talk about, say, minimum wage, um, they say like, "Well, why should a why should a burger flipper get paid over a certain amount? Like it's a, it's an entry level job and it's super easy." It's like, "Well, slow down. It may not be easy, uh, but it may be an entry level job that somebody can get at a young age, and maybe that." Maybe that does mean that they shouldn't get uh, over a certain amount or whatever it is, but to reduce a person down to, oh, well, they're just a burger flipper. It's like, well, everybody needs a job at some point, uh, and to reduce them that way is to, I think, dehumanize them a little bit. And so I don't like the idea of dehumanizing anybody on either side, um, because when it comes right down to it, God loves everybody, and God died for every, and Jesus died for everybody. Um, but the Bible definitely does have things to say about wealth. Um, <clears throat> Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21 says, uh, Do not store up your tr yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that that last one, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. This uh, this idea that we will definitely get more into in a moment, of you know uh, where your priority is and how you define yourself and and what you think will make you happy. Uh, a lot of people think that money will make them happy, whether they have it or not. And certainly money can allow you maybe to have experiences with your family or your friends that, that can make you happy. That's definitely true. Um, but the, I, but even then you are valuing what money can allow you to do as opposed to the money itself. Uh, and I do think that, that there are people who just find their comfort and their identity in how much money they have, whether they have it or not. Um, Mark 10, verses 17 through 27. Uh, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his, on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So this is a big deal. Uh, there is a guy who who comes to Jesus. He knows he knows what's going on. He knows uh, that Jesus uh, is is important, and he's a he's a what is it a good teacher? Um, and he says, "Hey, I've done all these things I'm supposed to do, uh, but you know what what more can I do?" And Jesus says, "Well, if you just sell all these things, then you and and give that money to the poor, then you're good." And the guy goes away sad because he's got a great deal of money. And I, and then uh, to recap, uh, Jesus then says, you know, it, it's easier for an eye, uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so you start to wonder why is this, why is this guy who clearly had an idea of who Jesus was? Uh, why did he go away sad? And then why is it so difficult for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God? And I think this is, you know, when I say that, that, money makes certain things easier. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, one of the byproducts of that is that you become very self-sufficient and you start to feel like, like, yeah, no, I, I don't need anybody else's help unless of course I'm paying for it. But even then they are helping me because I'm not forcing them to help me, but I'm, I'm incentivizing them to help me. Whereas there, there is no incentive. You can't incentivize, incentivize God to help you. He just does it because he loves you and you can't make him love you. Uh, you really have nothing to offer, but he offers his love freely, um, which means you're reliant on him. And, and I feel like when you have a great deal of money, you, you don't feel like you're reliant on anybody. And you certainly don't want to be. Um, there's this idea of, of gratitude, you know. Uh, if somebody provides something for you, the the natural reaction is gratitude. Unless uh, some people have a hard time with gratitude, that happens. But the na again, the natural reaction is to be thankful for what this other person has done for you. But if you're not in a position for anybody to do anything for you, uh, you might not feel grateful. And so, uh, really, there's a there is a a tragedy here and a sadness. And I'm not saying, hey, let's all feel bad for rich people. But, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, and I'm also not saying let's be like, haha, yes, they'll get theirs. It's not about that. Uh, it is this idea that if somebody puts their faith in their wealth, um, that is going to fail them. And that is true of anything else that we put our <laughs> that we put our faith in, except for God, um, that God is the only thing that will continue. Nothing else will continue. Um and so 
here we're talking about wealth because, you know, we do live in the United States and there is, uh, it's a capitalist country. And so the idea of, of trying to, uh, earn and, and acquire and save up wealth, um, is something that is, that is encouraged here. And I think there's nothing wrong with that, but from a spiritual standpoint, it can be very easy for that to become your big goal. Um, and so, you know, first Timothy six verses 10 through 11 says for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs, but you man of God flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And so it says the love, uh, this is some, it's a point that's been made a million times when people say, say, Oh, money is the root of all evil. It's not love of money is the root of all evil. And so, you know, money itself is neutral. You can do tremendous things with it. Um, you can help other people with it. You can build churches, build houses, feed people. You can you can have great experiences with your kids, whatever it is. Uh, money itself is neutral. Um, but the idea of hoarding it and defining yourself by that, uh, by what you have uh, or what you lack... Um, as opposed to defining yourself by God, like, uh, which again, he does not pass away. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is like, whether from, from a financial standpoint, like defining yourself by status, because I do think that when you watch parasite, you see the parent, the, the poorer parents, I think they have defined themselves by their low status to such an extent that they feel a certain degree of resentment towards the rest of the world and from a spiritual standpoint, if you were to tell somebody that they are still loved and that God does not look down on them because of their low status, uh, I think it's entirely possible that they would scoff at that and say, well, what does that matter? Who cares if God loves me? Look at, look at where I am right now. And certainly there are a lot of people that say that about various uh, situations, uh, whether it be loss or grief or setbacks or whatever it is. Um, but certainly a, a lack of money is something that we can use to define ourselves and, and keep ourselves away from God. In some cases, it's, I guess in both cases, it's, hey, I've had to rely on myself and look at all this money I made. I don't need God. Or, hey, I don't have a lot of money. And you know what? I don't need a lot of money. I just, I'm, I can take care of myself and I also don't need God. I'd say anything that could potentially lead you to say, I'm, I'm taking care of myself and I don't need God is something you need to be a little wary of. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5 verses 10 through 12 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. And this is an interesting thing because it does talk about like if you love money, then that's that's it. There's a there's a line from from Citizen Kane where a character says like he goes, well, there's no trick to making a lot of money if all you want is to make a lot of money. Um, and indeed, that's that that is probably true. I mean, that's an easy thing to say and it's an easy thing to just put in a movie. But uh, but yeah, if that is your end goal, just to have a lot, um, then I imagine 
it can be pretty easy to do that because maybe you'll sell out your own morals to do it. Who's to, who's to say? But uh, but it does say that like the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. So the idea of somebody who is who is working, like there is there is a certain nobility in that. Um, no matter how how much you've made or how little you've made, like there is something to be said for for working hard, I think that is a, a value as long as you're not loving money because then you'll never have enough and that's what you'll be focusing on. Uh, Psalm 37 verses 16 through 17 says, Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Proverbs seventeen sixteen says, Why should fools have money in hand to buy wisdom when they are not able to understand it? And so, you know, when you look at when you look at these verses and you look at just the nature of Jesus and, and his ministry and his comments, yes, Jesus abs- Jesus loves everyone, Jesus died for everybody, God died for everybody. Um and I do think that we should certainly not resent the rich. We shouldn't despise the rich. If anything, we should pity the rich. But what I will say is that Jesus does have a heart for the the poor and the downtrodden and the misfits and the outcasts. And there is, certainly in a society like ours, there is an attitude that says, like, well, if you don't have a great deal of money, we don't really, you, you don't really have much to contribute to society. And so why would we ever listen to you? Um, and that is, I, I think that is, uh, the, the downside of, of a capitalistic system is that there is so much value associated with achievement, whether it be financial or otherwise, that if you're somebody who, for whatever reason has not achieved, at least not in the way that people define the word, um, you are sort of cast aside and ignored and you're not really heard. And Jesus says, no, you, you are also valuable. Like the 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 last shall be first in in my in my house and so as we watch these movies you know i come at it thinking like hey the one thing that i like is that they're not simplistic they don't simply say poor good rich bad that's what i like but and and i don't think that the bible says that either but it does definitely say that we should develop a heart for those who are struggling um, in this case, we're talking about financially. And so if you are in a position, maybe you do have, maybe you are doing pretty well and you're in a position to help those that aren't. And maybe it's a function of giving to charity. Maybe it's a function of of giving your time as opposed to simply your money. Uh, perhaps you have a friend or a relative who's not doing so well and you can, you can help them out in some capacity. Uh, I think that's I think that is a a noble thing maybe the reason again money itself is a neutral and you have been trusted with with money and maybe you've been entrusted with it because you are in a position to help other people with it um and so yeah I I don't want people to come away from this episode saying thinking that like I'm just like an apologist for the rich and I'm saying, oh, you know, in an actuality, we should feel really bad for the rich. I'm not trying to say that at all. I'm just saying that the Bible, that Jesus has enough love for everybody, even people that we ourselves uh, can't really drum up much sympathy for because they already seem to be uh, doing pretty well for themselves. Um, But that we should also take our cues from the Bible as far as looking for the opportunity um, to 
show God's love and God's mercy and charity to people who might be in a worse position. Um, and maybe you are somebody who's in a, in a rough position and you have a hard time asking for help, which I totally understand because maybe somebody will be like, Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not running a charity or whatever it is. Maybe that, does, maybe, maybe that's you. And you feel like maybe not that God has for, has forgotten you, but other people have. And you look at a movie like Parasite and you absolutely uh, see a certain callousness in, in the rich characters. Uh, you know what? I, I get that. And, and I, uh, I don't blame you. And I will just remind you that God is with you and uh, does, not, does not look down on you because of your 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 status uh and just to continue to rely on him and maybe that will result in like a an amazing uh you know monetary gift from heaven or something like that and maybe it won't but uh but god can can provide joy even in the most meager of circumstances um and that it tends to be why christianity does very well in countries and parts of the world that really do not have a great deal of money because it suggests that joy is not exclusively owned by those that have money. Whereas in countries that are doing quite well, like the United States, uh, Christianity tends to be on the decline because there is this feeling of, Hey, we've done it ourselves. We don't need God. And so something to be thinking about, something to be praying about, uh, because we can't necessarily control what the larger culture does and what the country does, but we can control how we look at money, how we look at people that do have it, people that don't have it, uh, how we can look at our own finances and our own choices, um, and how we can look at God and embrace the way he looks at us. All of this, very difficult to implement, um, but something to be thinking about. Uh, and once again, if you have not seen these films and you've made it all the way to the, uh, the end of this episode, that's, uh, admirable, but also confusing. Um, but I highly recommend the parasite really is a masterpiece. Uh, and again, one of the few movies that I would actively describe as perfect. I cannot think of anything wrong with it. Um, and Gosford park is also a, a real joy to behold, but I should say on that one. I didn't truly love it until I saw it, like, until the third time I saw it. The first time, I didn't really know what to make of it, mostly because I didn't have much of an association with Altman. The second time, I was like, okay, I think I, I think I get this a little bit more. The third time, I, I thought, like, oh, yes, this is really wonderful. Um, so just to be, uh, you know, just to sort of have your expectations uh, in check there. But um, anyway... So we've talked about a lot of a lot of uh, difficult stuff here, and I'm sure there are, there are things that I've said that maybe uh, I could have phrased better. Uh, hopefully, I didn't come across as too callous one way or another. Um, and if and again, if you are in a in a rough situation, then I'm sure my saying like "Hey, just trust God" comes across as, as pretty oblivious to your situation. And so, uh, if that is the case, I, I apologize. Um, I understand that a person's words sometimes aren't often are not enough. Um, but just know that God is with you and God loves you. Even if it would seem the world, uh, has passed you by and doesn't seem that interested in you. God is tremendously interested in you. 
Um, but anyway, okay, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Um, I really do appreciate uh, everybody listening. Um, I don't know what the next episode will be or when it will be. I'm going to try and have it be sooner rather than later because I do have a couple of ideas, at least for the uh, the Halloween season. Uh, I feel like Halloween times is is a bygone era in more than one lesson. But uh, but yeah, I, I do have something in mind. Um, in the meantime, if you go to morethanonelesson.com, obviously there's not that much stuff. Uh, it's not being updated that often, but uh, Bob Connolly, by the time you're listening to this, um, he is going, he's working his way through the, uh, all of the James Bond movies. So he's written a couple of articles about that and, uh, he will eventually be reviewing the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die. So, uh, something to be checking out at morethanonelesson.com. So, uh, you're always welcome to email me, Tyler at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons, or you can like us on Facebook. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening and we'll get you next time. Bye.